Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 237 for the 24th of March, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with Paul Ducklin, which uh, I guess is a rather unfortunate circumstance that we're doing this podcast. Paul, I know you were supposed to be in Belgium uh, this week, and uh, certainly our condolences go out and, and thoughts to those that were uh, impacted by the attacks there. And fortunately, you, you were safely kept in England. Yes, I would, this week's podcast was supposed to be the third in the row, which was live from a show that I was going to do it on your behalf from Infosec Belgium. In the end, uh, the organizers sadly had to cancel the whole event. A sad day indeed. We'll continue on with the week's news. Uh, the tour team, of course, is responsible for creating a somewhat uh, privacy-minded onion routing platform and they you know some of the developers behind it were like hey you know i mean i wish they had said we're with sophos hash no back doors but in essence we will not build back doors into our our software and we will quit before we would uh, uh endorse such a behavior and i guess i'm a little surprised that it's news and that when your product is solely designed to provide security and privacy to the users of it you would kind of expect being asked to put a back door in would end up with this reaction wouldn't you Yes, and uh, Tor was uh, originally developed by the U.S. Navy, wasn't it? For precisely the purpose it's now used for. The idea is that sometimes you want to go online and you don't want it to be immediately obvious who you are, where you are, and why you're doing what you're doing. So you're right, having a backdoor in Tor would kind of make it pointless. Like you might as well not use it. The whole idea is it's it's meant to provide a sort of shield against any other backdoors that might be there. So having one in it would it just sort of beggars belief, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and I think it can be extended to a lot of the rest of the debate around encryption. I mean, the point of it is to secure your communications and intentionally providing a way around the security is, you know, kind of negates all the hard work that goes into doing it. And so we're having a hard enough time just getting crypto perfect enough to be usable, uh, let alone worrying about trying to intentionally sabotage our own efforts. Indeed. And I think that as far as Tor is concerned, law enforcement has already had some conspicuous successes against crooks who've used Tor by actually dealing with the traffic at each end. And as the Tor guys point out, for all that Tor is widely used for criminal activity, sometimes they seem to act surprised as though, what do you mean Tor is used for bad? The point is, it has a very good positive use. Because sometimes you just have a need not to have data about what you're doing today tied with what you're doing tomorrow. It's not necessary that it's tied together. And the fact that somebody can just means that that relationship is open for abuse, typically by crooks looking to diddle you or your friends out of something by knowing more than they're supposed to. Well, that kind of segues nicely into the next story, which is around a, a, a Android root vulnerability that Google warned about this week. It you know, reminded me of some research that our colleague Roland had done a couple years back on what at the time was known as the gingerbreak vulnerability. Gingerbreak was commonly used in the gingerbread version of Android to, to gain root access. And mostly it was popular with people providing tools to root your own device, right? You know, to gain root access to something that you bought, get rid of the shackles that Google's tried to put on the device and let you use it as a general computing platform. But we also saw Gingerbreak used in malware that criminals were able to, to embed that same code to get it to spread widely amongst gingerbread-based handsets, especially in China at the time. 
it sounded like we were kind of heading in the same direction with this one and maybe Google's trying to head it off at the pass. Yes. Well, <laughs> head it off at the other side of the pass on the long winding downhill, I think, <laughs> um, because this was a uh, basically a memory overflow vulnerability that could be used to crash a service inside the kernel, or perhaps it was thought last year give code execution inside the kernel. So in other words, if you like, the mother of all elevation of privilege vulnerabilities, because you're not just getting access as another user, you're getting inside the kernel. And uh, most Linuxes were patched pretty quickly. Somehow Android didn't get patched against this. And uh, it turns out that the vulnerability could be used for privilege elevation and uh, was indeed being used by routing apps, as you say, programs that are deliberately designed to give you root access. And at least one of these had made it into the Play Store. So I think Google was a little bit surprised to find such an app in the Play Store because obviously they didn't know what to look for yet and perhaps somewhat embarrassed that this vulnerability could have been fixed months ago and somehow they overlooked it. So they scrambled to add this patch to the Linux kernels uh, used by Android, so that should close it off. And also, as a kind of interim measure for people who might take some time to get their patches, they have improved the vetting before something goes into the Play Store. So I guess that means they're searching deeply inside apps for evidence that they use this particular vulnerability. Uh, if you're interested in it, it is CVE 2015-1805. That's good information and uh, i guess the the rooting community i imagine is intentionally not updating all their devices at the moment so that they can continue to take advantage of of this vulnerability to gain root access to devices but uh i think in the wild google said it had been targeting nexus 5 and nexus 6 devices which probably hit a little close to home for them like jailbreaking on an iphone rooting kind of is a bit of a double-edged sword it can be great if your goal is to take control of your own device perhaps apply, ironically, security patches that your vendor can't or won't bother to provide, uh, use apps that are otherwise not available on your device. So that's the good side of routing. The bad side is that if you don't know it's happening, then basically what you're doing is you're giving an otherwise innocent app, an innocent looking app, the right to dig into the kernel, promote itself, and then do all sorts of things that are by design in Android not supposed to be possible e.g. read data from other apps. They're supposed to be kept completely separate on Android. Every app runs as its own individual user, so it doesn't automatically have the right to share data with other programs like it would on Windows or Linux desktop or OS X. That's a great security feature, but an app that can sneakily get root access or get a kernel elevation of privilege can actually bypass all that protection. Yeah, and I mean, you can see the damage if you... Uh just follow along with some of the videos you see online of remote access Trojan th and things like that on Android that have gained root access. And, you know, they can intercept your SMSs, they can send SMSs, they can listen to your phone calls, they can turn the camera on. I mean, you, once you're root, all bets are off. The entire device is compromised. It's communications, all of its sensors, everything. So it's really critical that, uh, that you not have that on any device that you actually expect to be secure in any way. Yes. And if you do root your own device, then remember with rights come responsibilities. Apple also had some fixes for their mobile platform this week. iOS 9.3 was released uh, in conjunction with their standard Apple press conference for some 
some uh, new product updates. But the main thing in iOS 9.3, I think, that catches the eye of those of us in the security business was this, uh, I guess, I don't want to call it a flaw, a weakness in the cryptographic uh, protocols that could lead to messages, videos, images, etc. being uh, intercepted and then decrypted. Correct. I, I called it a zero day on naked security because news from the discoverers came out before Apple actually shipped the patch. Although, to be honest, they didn't exactly say how to do it, just roughly what the problem was. I did get a couple of people complaining, saying, oh, it's not a zero day. You're just being hyperbolic. You're exaggerating. Uh, I suppose technically because it wasn't being exploited in the wild by crooks, you could say it was not quite a zero day. But nevertheless, it was something that wasn't supposed to be there. My understanding is that by doing some kind of request-response jiggery-pokery with a server pretending to be an Apple server, you could essentially trick an iPhone into giving up the sort of cryptographic secrets that were required to let you receive an individual iMessage phone or video attachment. So it didn't open up your device entirely. It didn't give a crook a complete backdoor that would let them go in and read everything. There was some suggestion by one of the guys involved in the research that it didn't just affect iMessage. There may be some other apps that were affected. Uh, one would imagine that Apple has patched all of those. So if Apple can get it wrong and then have to fix it, believe me, you should not be knitting your own crypto because it's very likely that you will make a similar or worse mistake. Yeah, let, let's start with don't panic. And while you're not panicking, go get the update, right? So this isn't something that is likely to be mass exploited. And in fact, I was speaking with Martin Gruden from the Virus Bulletin group uh, at RSA a few weeks ago. And one of the things him and I were talking about, I think it was the drown vulnerability that had come out during RSA, but it was another one of these. The ones we need to worry about are the ones that can scale up very easily, can be implemented very easily, and don't require, say, you to be on a local network with the victim in order to intercept their traffic. Those are the really scary ones. Let's wrap up with an irony, because I found it slightly ironic that the FBI hurried up to put out a press release this week to warn us that they found out last August when uh, some researchers hacked a Jeep on 60 Minutes, an American news magazine program, that apparently cars are hackable. Well, maybe you're being a little bit unfair, Chester. Maybe it's just a good reminder. And as you said to me when we were discussing this particular item before we started recording, hey, at least the FBI is coming out with a good reminder saying, guys, don't pick up a USB key in the street and plug it into the one of the USB ports in your car. Bad things can happen in your car as well as anywhere else. It may not seem like a timely reminder, but maybe it's also one of those timeless reminders, like how many times have we said patch early, patch often? I think it, it falls into the same sort of category, doesn't it? Well, I, th I think another thing that might be prompting this is uh, more and more of these devices that connect to the OBD2 port in your car, which is that diagnostic port underneath the steering wheel. Uh, you know, we, we wrote about this on Naked Security, I think, last year about an insurance company that had a device that you could plug in that would potentially lower your insurance rates based on your driving habits. And that thing had a flaw in it. And now there's been Kickstarter campaigns and other things selling these devices to consumers as interesting ways to monitor their own habits, whether it's monitoring their, their teenagers' driving habits when they lend them the family car or whether, uh, you know, I have a friend who has a hybrid like uh, I do 
that's plugged one of these things in that he has an app on his iPhone and it tells him every time he takes the car out, huh, how many cents per liter and how efficiently did he brake or accelerate. And, and all of these things, again, back to the internet of things craze that all of this comes back to is are interesting and fun little projects, right? But the risk you're introducing by plugging that stuff into your vehicle control system is unknown. And I think maybe that's what's prompting the FBI to be a little more aggressive in these warnings. They're They're probably less concerned with a contaminated update from uh, Fiat Chrysler, and they're probably much more concerned with tens of thousands of cars being robotically remotely controlled because of vulnerabilities. And if you, if you think about it, the other thing that just happened recently is that story you wrote about, uh, I think it was a French researcher who went looking with Shodan for certain vehicle tracking systems. This thing had Telnet listening on TCP port 23 uh, on the open internet with no password. Maybe that was what reminded the FBI that we really have a long way to go in IoT security. I would have never guessed no password. I would have always at least tried password. You imagine that that was code that was originally intended to be done with a serial port or something. And then when the final devices came out ready for shipping that uh, they didn't have the serial port exposed. So you can imagine a programmer going, oh, heck, we haven't got the serial port anymore. Well, I'll just quickly take that code and make it listen via Telnet rather than on the serial port. And whoops, then I forgot to take that bit out before I shipped it. Well, I guess they could argue that they still comply with no back doors. They just happen to leave the front door completely wide open. (laughs) I think you better stop there because (laughs) otherwise I might keep laughing for a long time. On that note, I will conclude Social Security Chat Chat 237. And as always, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes over on soundcloud.com slash Sofa Security and our RSS feed and everywhere else, hopefully, that fine podcasts are found. For the latest security news, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And don't forget, if you would like great free antivirus for home, no strings attached, just head over to home.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure.